Happy New Year. It is great to see all of you here today. I'm Amy Coles. I have the honor and privilege of working with our bishop in our conference office for the United Methodist Church in Charlotte. But I've also begun describing myself as the official, unofficial fill-in for Andrea when she's not here. And it is a joy for me to be here. So I want to welcome those of you that have come out for worship on this cold, rainy New Year's Day. You all get extra points. Amen? Woo! And also want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online. We are glad that you have joined us here. Now, I want you to know that that first video was a test. Okay, to see how hungover you really were. Because you still had to be a little bit drunk to understand the words. So um, you, could, you could test yourself. But uh, on Wednesday, I got the email, and I realized that Andrea had entitled my message, A Cure for a Hangover. Um, and I like it when she titles them for me. So I did a little research. And so I thought I would begin by sharing with you the nine top things I found to cure a hangover. Are you ready? The first is to drink lots of water or Gatorade or juice, and I found a great article that talked about those Pedialyte freezer pops, that while we might want to give children eight to ten of them if they're sick, if you just do about two of them, that will help with a hangover. The next one is to eat light. So all those folks that I saw on the way up at Waffle House are going to be in trouble, but really greasy food doesn't help. It just gives you heartburn, but toast and crackers are, are one of the best ways. The next one is an old favorite, Alka-Seltzer. Amen? Um, that's cured many of things, not just a hangover. Take a multivitamin to replace um, some of the stuff you've lost through a night of partying. Small amounts of coffee, not large amounts, they suggest. Small amounts of coffee. Um, pain relievers, Aleve, Advil, Tylenol, whatever is your favorite drug of choice to take some of that. A gentle workout to begin to, to work out um, all those toxins that are, have been in your body. Sleep, we all know we like that. And then the last but not least resort is to pray. And I found this great example of how you might pray, and I'll ask him to put it up there. Please, God, cure my hangover, and I promise, promise, promise that I will never drink again, but also please forgive me in advance for lying about never drinking again. <laughs> Amen. We'll, we'll do some praying. Interestingly enough, Time Magazine did an article about how to cure a hangover in August of 2016. And I was trying to figure out the timing of that, although it was in the middle of our election season. So um, I think we can figure out why we might have needed an article about curing a hangover then. But here's what they said. A day-long movie marathon on your couch may sound appealing, but the longer you laze around doing nothing, the longer it takes your system to jettison the stuff that's making you feel so bad. And so I think probably the best cure for a hangover is to grab your water bottle, take a couple of Tylenol, and then let's get on with doing what we need to be doing. And I think always that if that hangover is accompanied by that feeling of yuck, that feeling of depression, that feeling of 2017 isn't going to be great. So after all, getting about doing what needs to be done needs to be accompanied by doing something for somebody else because that makes all the difference in the world. 
So this morning, as we gather for worship on this first Sunday of the new year, and they do say that what you do on the first day of the new year is something that you're going to do all year long. So I think it's a great thing that we're doing worshiping. Um, As we consider getting out there and doing what needs to be done, I thought it might be helpful for us to follow some words of wisdom from Paul, who was the writer of about two-thirds of the New Testament and who wrote a letter to the church at Rome. And as he was writing that letter, he wrote these words. And I'm reading from the message, which is um, a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. And so as they put the scripture up on the screen, I'll also recommend the message if you've made a New Year's resolution or, or just want to read more about the Bible, I'll, I'll recommend the message. It's a great way to begin to read the Bible because it's so understandable. And then later on, You can dig into some of the other translations and and do some studying. But I I love what Eugene Peterson has to say. So here's here's his, his advice for us for the new year. So he writes, here's, Paul writes, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, sorry. God brings out the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What I read in this scripture is two pieces of instruction followed by a promise. Paul begins with these words, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, And place it before God as an offering. Paul reminds us that what God wants from us is is the good, the bad, the ugly. There are no prerequisites. We don't have to act a certain way. We don't have to look a certain way. We we don't have to do certain things. There's nothing we have to do to to, um, warrant or earn the love of God. We don't have to do particular things. But just take who we are. Just who we are. And place it before God as an offering. I think that was something that was really important to Paul. You see, Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, was a Pharisee. In the Old Testament, that was someone that made it um, their job, made it their goal in life to follow the 613 commands in the Old Testament law. And not only did Paul try to follow those perfectly, But he also was in charge of making sure that others did as well. He felt like he had to do that in order to gain acceptance by God. And yet what happened was that he had an encounter with Jesus as he was traveling one day on the road to Damascus. And while he was traveling, he encountered Jesus and and he realized in that encounter that he'd gotten it all backwards. That it wasn't about doing 613 things to earn your way into heaven. 
but rather God accepted Paul for who God was. And out of that unconditional love, which we often call grace, that acceptance of God, then Paul wanted to respond by following Jesus and by sharing his love and his message with others. What we do is our response to love. It's not about earning our way in. So God asks us to just give God ourselves. In other translations, this is described as presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, when Paul's talking about that, when Paul's using that image, what he's trying to do is contrast it with the, the sacrificial system that he'd grown up into, where folks had to take a live animal and slaughter it and place it on the altar where they believed that God resided in order to earn God's favor or to please God or, or to get forgiveness for the things they'd done wrong. And what Paul's saying here is that's not needed. What we need to do is present ourselves as living to God, to offer who we are, and then to allow God to use that. When I think about these verses, I always love what Rick Warren wrote in The Purpose Driven Life, a book that um, speaks about how we can do that. And, and he said, the only problem with being a living sacrifice is, is that a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar. Which reminds me that as we offer ourselves to God, we get to choose how much of ourselves we give to God. Do we give all of ourselves to God or do we hold a little bit back wanting to keep control of that? Well, in his blog, Seth Godin, who's a writer and an entrepreneur and a business guru and a speaker and who I really think is a closet United Methodist because when I read his blog every morning, it speaks a lot to our church. He just released a, a TED Talk from 2014, which speaks about what it means to offer ourselves to God. So let's see if the video works and listen to it now. So for eight years, I, um, I played the clarinet growing up. Well, actually, that's not true. I took lessons, but I'm not sure I actually played the clarinet. I went to uh, hear Michael Tilson Thomas perform with a symphony orchestra, and there was a clarinetist playing a solo. And the first few notes were the middle C, the easiest note, the first note they teach you. And I realized, listening to that, that I had never actually played the clarinet. I had never once in my entire life played a single note that sounded like that note did. But all the years that I was taking lessons, no one sat me down and said, you know what? None of this matters. None of the notes and the songs and all that stuff we keep piling on for you to do matters if you can't play a single note that people actually want to hear. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Why was it? Part of it was that I didn't care enough. I didn't care enough to put myself into it in a way that would touch another person. And part of it is the world that we are growing up in. Quick little experiment. Go ahead and raise your right hand just as high as you can, please. Okay, now please raise it higher. Hmm, <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> I'll tell you what it's about. What it's about is that you learned at the age of four that teachers and parents and coaches and bosses would always ask for a little bit more. 
And so it's safer to hold a little bit back. It's safer to care just a little bit less. But now we live in this world where we get a chance to dance and to leap and to hack and to do things that touch other people, right? But we're so eager to add another tweet and do another thing and put another thing on the pile because it's safer. It gives us a way to protect ourselves. You know, we make the menu longer instead of making one dish that people are willing to cry, drive across town to buy. And so we end up with the hacker paradox. Right? Number one, we need to care enough to connect, care enough to put ourselves at risk, emotional risk or any other kind of risk, to touch other people and to play one note that's worth hearing. But we also have to be brave enough to ship it before it's ready, because it's never ready. It's never the right time. Gutenberg launched the printing press when fewer than 8% of the people in Europe knew how to read. Carl Benz launched the car when it was against the law to drive, when there were no roads sufficient for cars, and when, of course, there were no gas stations or all-night drive-through liquor stores. <laughs> and so the question we have to ask, given the leverage that we've been given and the way our culture is so open to notes that matter is this. Yeah, we're probably going to succeed. The people in this room have succeeded beyond most people's dreams. That's a given. The question, as my friend Shaleen told me, is not that, but will you choose to matter? Will you choose to actually make music? Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. So that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. In this new year, will we choose to matter? Are we going to play it safe and, and hold a little bit of ourselves back, wanting to remain in control, ma making sure we can keep our options open? Or will we truly present as much of ourselves as we can to God as an offering and allow God to use us to do his work in the world? You know, I think the good news is that God will receive whatever we'll give and we'll use that and we'll do great things with it. But my challenge to us is in 2017 to put our hands all the way up and see what happens. So first, present yourself as an offering to God who you are in your everyday life. The second instruction I get from this is where Paul explains what it looks like to be that offering, to be that living sacrifice. And he says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Did a little bit of reflecting over the messages that I've had the privilege to share with you over the past six months. And we talked a lot about God's love for each and every one of us. And our receiving that love, and then our love, share, um, sharing that love back with God and back with other folks. We talked about how in the end, God wins. God will work all things together for good. And we can trust that. 
We've talked about the joy of the community of faith and how we aren't meant to live this life as Jesus followers alone, but we're meant to live it together where we can support each other. And I think those are all important emphases. They remind us of of why we need God, why we would want God, of why we need the church, why we would want the church at all. But at the start of 2017, I think it's also important to say that being a follower of Jesus is supposed to look different. We are supposed to be different from the rest of the world. And if you think for a moment about what drew you here, I would guess that it's because you saw a difference in somebody else's life or because you wanted a difference in your own life. And I'm really passionate that we, as those who are trying to live lives like Jesus, that we look different, that we don't imitate our culture, that we don't get caught up in our culture, but we're willing to set an example for others of a life of joy and peace and patience and kindness, that Christ followers do behave, they do the things, they say the things that Jesus did, that Jesus said. But that's not meant to be a guilt trip. Remember, I started with God takes us exactly the way we are. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to do something different. But if we'll just offer ourselves to God, God will begin to change us from the inside out. It's also not about judging other people and looking down upon others because they don't behave in the same way we do. It's about being a living example, about caring about the things that Jesus cared about and and caring about the people that Jesus cared about. And, And those were the overlooked and the oppressed and those in need. And I've said it to you before, I think West is an incredible example of what it means to be the church, of what it means to be a people of mission as, as you're in ministry in Uganda and here in the Mooresville community, through the food truck and through Ding Dong Ditch and through Third Creek um, Backpack Ministries. You do an incredible job, but again, as Seth Godin reminded us, I wonder if we can put our hands up a little bit more in 2017. I wonder if we can continue to live those things out in deeper and fuller ways. I know from time to time, Andrea will give you five or ten dollars and say, go do something positive with that. Are you willing to take that out of your wallet and do the same thing? You provided incredible gifts for families during Christmas. And what a, what a wonderful um, thing that was for folks. But what about their birthdays or their anniversaries or just everyday ordinary times when they have things in need? Are we willing to continue to live that out? Not just at Christmas, not just at selective times during the year, but each and every day. A friend sent me a video that that reminded me of what it looks like as we live differently, of what it looks like to respond to what God wants from us. And I want you to notice that it takes somebody to respond halfway into this video. 
But let's watch it now. friends for too long I think the church has been those who stood on the sidelines and read the sign we maybe even shook our heads and said oh wow what a brave thing what a good thing yeah we do love him but it took one person one person to begin to offer that handshake and that started a movement friends we need to be a movement again doing those things that Jesus did, offering love to all, being the example of Jesus in this world. 
And so Paul then ends the scripture with a promise. He says, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God promises us growth. Growth in our own self-development. Growth in our faith. Growth as disciples, followers of Jesus in this world. I think what God promises us is that deep joy that Andrea has invited you to explore over the first six months of this year. A deep inner well-being and peace and satisfaction as we grow in our relationship with the God we know in Jesus Christ. So friends, I invite you. I invite you as we enter into 2017 to offer yourselves to God. And then together, let's watch, well, no, let's celebrate what God does in and through us as we have the incredible opportunity to make a difference in this community and in this world. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we rejoice in your gift of Jesus, that child in Bethlehem. We remember him in the manger and ask for humble hearts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. We welcome Jesus, who is all compassion, pure, unbounded love. Use us. Use us as you draw and welcome people home, one by one. We covenant with you new this year to, to be gentle yet strong servants, yielding all that we are and all that we have to you. Surprise us, oh God. Surprise us with your dazzling light, your persevering goodness, And we pray to walk together. This prayer we offer in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's the first day of the rest of our lives. Let us go be different in 2017. Have a great week.